This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, August 31st, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And guess what? August is now in the record books. We have finished the last trading day of the month, and tomorrow we turn the page on September. And then guess what? We're almost into the final quarter of the year. It's been quite the year. And there's been a lot of volatility even today, for example. Headlines are going to talk about Tesla and Apple and their stock splits. That's what everyone's talking about, right? A lot of young and experienced investors jumped in to those shares today thinking, oh my God, the companies are cheaper. When in fact, they're not. But the market was down. S&P was down a, a little bit. About two tenths of one percent. The NYSE, the broader indexes, down about one percent on on the day. So a modest down day to end the month. And the question is, will it carry into September? Which historically, August and September are fairly poor months for the market. Now this August was not. Goes to show you can't just use seasonality data on its own, but taken together, that's uh, August and September are the two poorest months. So will September make up for a very strong August? Now we know we're just a couple months away from the election and the first debates uh, coming up in less than a month as well. So certainly that's going to bring a lot of volatility. There's a lot of volatility in the betting markets on who will win as well. It's now going from heavy Biden favorite to kind of 50-50 now. So that makes investing in certain industries, sectors, a little more precarious. I think that's an interesting dynamic that isn't being talked about enough. Now, are you surprised by the rally? I think for the most part, most people are, right? Because everyone thinks that there should be some connection between the markets and the economy. I think it's now more clear than ever that it's not really the case. The market is its own beast. In the long run, there's absolutely a link with the economy and thus earnings of companies and where the overall markets end up and trend. In the near term, and a lot of people think near term is a week or a month. No. The year is near term. And it just shows goes to show you that There are crosswinds that happen in markets, both on the economic front, on the liquidity front, on the sentiment front. 
and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, is the massive amount of new traders. You know, our, our you know, best talk has taken off. You know, we've do- almost doubled our listenership since the beginning of the year. A lot of that are new traders. And that's certainly having an effect on especially the tech stocks. So we know what impacts the markets, but it's up to you to decide which one impacts the markets more. And that's what I'm here to help you do each and every weekday, is to decipher those crosswinds as much as we possibly can and help you be prepared for the volatility and develop strategies that will help you become a successful investor. I know you want strategies for that, so I'm going to help you build that. We're ready to take your calls right now at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. We want you to succeed along with us. If you're just a listener or if you're a client, we provide unbiased guidance each and every day, both on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So if you want to have a more in-depth chat with myself or Steve, just head over to investtalk.com and send us a message. Now, today, my focus point today concerns a story Home buyer mortgage demand has spiked 33% on an annual basis. What's driving it? And how long will that sustain itself? We're going to walk through that. Also, a record number of new retail accounts have opened up and very similar to 2000. Actually, more like the late 90s, 98, 99. Very similar analog to today. And we're going to discuss kind of the data points and what will be the inflection point. Next, a weak dollar. What does that mean for your portfolio? We know the dollar is rolled over. It remains relatively weak, which is, there's always a potential for a counter trend rally in the dollar. But we also know that central banks want the dollar to be weak. Helps with liquidity in the system. But there are side effects to that. And we're going to touch on that and what that means for portfolios. And then lastly, if you are going to tap into your retirement funds, what is the best way to do it? We're going to touch on that as well. Well, ultimately, I want to hear from you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's take a quick look at the markets. Like I said at the top of the show, the S&P was down about eight points, a little over about, call it a quarter percent, nothing major. NASDAQ was up, though, on the back of every retail investor buying Apple and Tesla because they think it's cheaper. It's always comical to me. The Russell 2000 was down 16 points, a little over 1%. So it was a down day. It was certainly a negative day in the markets. Probably doesn't feel that way, 
but that certainly was the case. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have posted a new Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour bonus podcast. Steve and I have recorded our answers to 34 voice bank questions. I know we get a lot of them, so we try to do it at a fast pace. You still get our unbiased comments, and we keep things moving fast. So tell your friends they can hear our new Invest Talk Rapid Fire, Fire Hour podcast anytime at investtalk.com. It's free. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Just search Invest Talk. And now I'm here ready to take your calls live right now at 888 chart. The calendar tells the story. Summer is moving fast and the Labor Day holiday will be here soon. But you've got finance and investment questions now. So Steve and Justin welcome your calls. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Justin in Manteca. He wants to talk about bonds and yields. Hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. And, and also, thank you for the weekly market videos. Um, it's been really cool to, to track and follow along with that. And I just wondered if uh, you could just take a minute and tell me about the relationship between yields and bonds and the gold and silver and the dollar. I know in your Friday video, you talked about the 10 year having a breakout and trying to do some positioning in gold and silver and also looking for some opportunities uh, in the equities. And so I'm just trying to understand what all that looks like. I've tried looking it up and it's just a little confusing. So I wonder if you could clarify that. So when you're asking about bonds and yields, are you, are you trying to understand the relationship between bond prices and yields? Um, like, yeah, like the treasury yields um, mm-hmm. and the bonds. I don't know if they're supposed to track together or if they track in opposite directions and then how that works with gold and silver and the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they track in, in opposite directions. So if yields rise, bond prices fall. Do you understand why that is? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. So bonds, most bonds, there are certain bonds, there's floating rate bonds, but most bonds, they pay, they pay a fixed coupon payment, right? When they're issued, they're paying a fixed coupon payment. Let's call it, uh, let's call it 5% per year, right? Mm-hmm. And if interest rates in the market for those securities stay roughly the same, then they're going to trade right around par, 100. If interest rates rise, however, let's say they go from 5% on those type of securities to 7%, and you can go buy new issues of the same security, same type of security for 7%, how much value, do you think the value of the one that's paying 5% now goes up or down? That goes down. Goes down. Right, so it's going to need to go down enough to make that five percent coupon payment equivalent to seven percent on the new issues, right? So yeah. that's how that that's how when interest rates rise, bond prices fall because it needs to compensate for those higher yields because they're still getting the same coupon payment, right? So that's the relationship between bond prices and yields. Higher yields are bad for underlying bond prices. Now, if you own individual bonds, which that's what we uh, invest for most of our clients that are looking for that that fixed income uh, side, if you hold it to maturity, 
yes, it could decline in the short term, right? It might go down to 95 cents on the dollar, 90 cents on the dollar. But as you get closer to maturity, you're going to get your full par back. As long as there's no default, you're going to get that 100 back and you're going to get all your money back. So on longer dated securities going out 10, 20 years, those securities fluctuate a lot more when it comes to interest rates, when interest rates move a lot. Shorter term bonds, they don't fluctuate nearly as much because you're going to be at maturity relatively soon. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So, and then when it comes to gold and silver, when yields rise, especially on treasuries, that typically is bad for gold and silver because you can store your wealth in treasuries and get some sort of yield, right? Some sort of return. Gold and silver, theoretically, they don't produce any yield, right? But you're not getting debased. So the issue right now is that there's so many treasuries being issued, trillions and trillions of dollars of them. There's almost infinite supply, whereas gold and silver right now has finite supply, right? There's, there's always... There's some uh, growth in, you know, with miners and everything, but it's near record lows when it comes to mine supply. So there's a relative low flow of new gold and silver uh, coming on market. And so that's why gold and silver is doing relatively well now is because the yields you're getting on treasuries are very, very low. Now, if treasuries start to rise and inflation expectations don't rise as much, gold and silver will get hit. The, the real yield will rise. Uh, but that's why on, on my videos, I look at the uh, tips to the IEF, that ratio, to see as long as that's going up, it means that inflation expectations, break-even rates are rising, and that means uh, the, the inflation expectations are going up, and go that's good for gold and silver. So I know it can be complex, uh, but all these things are very, very important to the market because the cost of money is the most important input in calculating values of certain assets a lot of assets real estate equities etc thanks for the call justin you're listening to invest talk i'm justin klein and summer is almost over and if you're a serious investor i hope you will try to head over to investtalk.com take our portfolio uh, our risk analysis tool it'll help you pinpoint your risk tolerance level important for everyone to do that now we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, our focus point today is on the housing market and the increasing appetite for mortgages. Now, year over year, demand for mortgages are up 33%. But week over week, up about 0.4%. So the, the demand has kind of hit a plateau here. And, but it remains relatively strong, very strong. A lot of this is pent up demand from 
a spring market where there wasn't much activity. For most people, COVID that were in the market for a house, COVID didn't affect them that much. Right? Because most of the layoffs were lower income workers, right? Restaurant workers, for example, retail workers. And a lot of them didn't make enough money to buy a house anyway. So most of them kept their jobs. And so they still remain in the market. And then you had new buyers come on the market where, think about it, their job, say their job uh, was saying, we're, we're permanently working from home now. Well, immediately you start thinking, do I really need to live here from working from home? Do I need to live close to my office or can I move an hour, two hours away or a different state where I get more bang for my buck? And so certainly that has been a big driver as well, out of city centers into more rural and suburban areas. Now, low mortgage rates are throwing fuel on that fire because the affordability, even though prices are up, affordability is staying decent because of you know, hanging around that 3% 30-year fixed mortgage rate. And rates actually just dropped last week because FHFA announced that they're delaying their extra fee on refinancing for three months till December 1st. You can see the lobbying from the housing market or the housing uh, authorities got them to push that back. They implemented it a little quick, I think. And so they want to give the industry a little time to cope and prep for that higher rate. And that's certainly uh, going to be helpful in the near term. Now, refinancing still remains about 62.5% of total applications, and that's down from the previous week. So the big question is what happens if rates just go to 3.5? That's what I talk about is everyone's saying, Shh, and I don't have an answer for this. Everyone's saying, well, I should buy a house if inflation's going up. And I say, yes, that's absolutely true if mortgage rates stay low. Right? There's two ways housing prices tend to go up. And both impact affordability. One are interest rates. That tends to be more of a short-term factor. Right? Because mortgage rates can move dramatically in short periods of time. Just with the interest rate market. What tends to go up over a long period of time and at with a lot less volatility are incomes, right? Because incomes are used to pay mortgages. So if inflation goes up, incomes should go up as well. However, if inflation goes up too much, how will that impact the mortgage market? And I think Fannie and Freddie will do their best to keep rates low, close to the treasury rate, right? Because they want to support the housing market. But what about private lenders, right? More expensive homes. If you're lending in the mortgage market, 
right? Even if you're just owning a mortgage ETF or mutual fund, right, that invests in mortgages, non-agency mortgages, for example, or you're a REIT that does that, right? One of those mortgage REITs. If inflation's six, seven, eight percent, if it ever gets there, are you going to accept three or four percent of your mortgage? I don't know about that. And that's that's something I don't have an answer for yet, but it's the question I'm searching for. An answer to. Because if mortgage rates go to six percent and three, that's double the interest rate. Incomes are going to have to go up dramatically to compensate for that higher borrowing rate. So when I get an answer to this, I'm certainly going to, at least an answer to the common, I'm definitely going to relay it. But it's something that I'm still asking myself. I'm still trying to discover what will the mortgage market be like in a high interest rate environment. Think of the 70s. Mortgage rates were in the mid to high teens. But then again, treasury rates were pretty high as well. Now, the next invest talk, this story. Stock market is roaring, but should you fear an awful September? One analyst has charted the Dow back to 1896. He says that September's of average presidential election years, the stock market has actually risen. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information 
beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Corey in Ohio. He wants to talk about his 401k. Hey, Justin. Uh, I've got a question here in my uh, Vanguard 401k. I own two different value funds. Both are about 7% of my total 401k, and I'm trying to figure out if I should, which one I should keep, and I guess whatever one I get rid of, if I should just roll it over to my, to create an individual uh, IRA. Um, The first one is the T. Rowe Price Value Fund. Well, well, let me, let me, let me cut you off there real quick. Uh, How would you, are you contributing to this 401k currently? Uh, Yes, sir. Okay. So. Uh, are, you, are you over the age of 59 and a half? Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So, so you aren't, you shouldn't, I don't believe, maybe you know something more than me, but you shouldn't be able to roll that over into a, an IRA, even though it's a great idea okay. if you could, uh, but you would have to leave your job or be over 59 and a half and do an in-service rollover. So anyway, so T. Rowe okay. Price. Yeah, uh, value fund, and then the other okay. one is just the Vanguard Selected Value Fund. So, um, I, I, you know, started contributing to these funds back in 2016, uh, as well as a target dated fund. But I just realized, uh, as I kind of was just doing some catch up, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in two value funds at the same time, and kind of trying to figure out what I should do with with either one of these. Well, the, it's that's not necessarily a bad thing to be in two value funds, okay. to be honest with you. Uh, that Vanguard one is a mid-cap value fund, whereas the T. Rowe Price is a large-cap value fund. Okay, so they're they're different, right? They're, they're investing in different universes uh, of equities. And so okay. I don't see anything wrong. Both are pretty good, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, you know, I would say average to above average. Uh, the Vanguard one is about average. The T. Rowe Price one is above average. Uh, the expense ratios are not low, but they're not super high either. Um, past performance in the value side is not terrible. They have good years and some bad years, just like most funds. Sometimes they outperform uh, their, their peers, sometimes they're, they're not. Um, but overall, there's nothing wrong if you're talking 7% of your portfolio each, one large, one mid. I, I see nothing wrong with that as something you need to, to change, to be honest with you. In fact, this is a time where you want to be allocating, uh, if you're looking more long-term, away from the growth side, which for the most part is very overvalued, and increasing your 
exposure to the value side. Does that make sense, Corey? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks for the call. Now, I mentioned earlier that we get a ton of voice bank questions. So let's grab one of them right now from 888 chart Hey, guys. Thank you so much for, for the show. I listen to it all the time. Um, I'm a new investor, but I just had a quick question about uh, stock and Peloton. I am a big believer of Peloton, and I think they're going to be great. You know, it's like one of these like new companies that will have a lot of growth. But I know especially with Steve, how he talks about the earnings, and with Peloton, it's not there yet. I don't think they're profitable right now. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And um, right now, I think the price is around sixty-nine, seventy a share. So I, I do think it's kind of high. Just wanted to see what your thoughts were with with Peloton stock, and if it could kind of be that new, that new next company, uh, Tesla type company in the fitness industry. So, yep, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. And thank you so much once again. I'm, I'm Alex. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for the call, Alex. Now, I was looking at Peloton. PTON is a symbol. About a twenty-two billion dollar market cap. Minimal debt on its balance sheet, actually no debt on its balance sheet, so I like that. It has, it's been growing pretty dramatically, but like you said, there's no earnings to speak of. EBITDA trailing 12 months, about negative 185 million. Now, the, the, the strategy for a lot of companies right now is to not earn money. Right and focus more on growth, pump it all back into marketing and sales, and that's certainly something Peloton has been good at. Uh, but I look at this space, and you know, I actually own shares in a, a private company in this in in this space as well, not a direct competitor at all, but something kind of similar. And I understand the space fairly well. I think Peloton does have staying power but I also remember I harken back to the days when I was a lot younger when in the 90s having a treadmill or a stationary bike at home was kind of a fad and within a number of years it became kind of passe and everyone had these bikes or these treadmills sitting in the living room or in some spare bedroom that nobody really used, collected dust, and they try to sell it on eBay or whatever. And I think Peloton is going to be similar for a lot of people. Now, you're going to have your hardcore fans and users stay on it. That's certainly true. And there'll be a sub-segment of that and Peloton will remain with that cohort of their customers that are going to pay the, I think it's 30 bucks a month, I think Peloton is, which is kind of a lot. And when gyms reopen, I think people are going to want to go to gyms. It's a social environment. We're social people. And so I see this more as a short-term fat on the fat on the growth side. So I don't think Peloton has the 10-year growth trajectory that the market is pricing it. And once kind of the fad starts to wane out, this stock's going to reprice much, much lower. Now, technically, it's an uptrend. So 
the work from home, work out from home trade remains strong. So technically, I can say, well, it could easily go higher in the near term. But for me, understanding the industry, understanding how much of a fad it can be, uh, the valuation of $22 billion on a billion in sales is just too rich for my blood. Let's go to Paul in Hawaii looking at Freeport MacMoran. Hey, thank you for taking my call, Justin. I love you. Have a great radio voice, and I appreciate you every single day. Thank you for those kind words. You own Freeport? Or are you looking to buy it? I have options until January. I'm just wanting to get your take on that. So you have call options? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. What's your strike? Uh, $10 strike. $10 strike. So you're deep in the money, now trading at fifteen sixty one. The big question is, do you want to maintain that leveraged bet on the position? Let me take a look at a longer term chart here because it certainly has rallied pretty dramatically off the March lows. Uh, what's 52 week low? Uh, $4.82. Now our 1561. I mean, I love, I love the commodity space. Copper is in an uptrend. So I think you just need to write it and I would have, uh, I would have an out. I would have a, uh, a trailing stop on this. But I think this could, because you did make a higher low. I think this easily, I don't say easily, but it likely gets to about 18. Now we're at 15.61. That's where I would start to reduce my position dramatically, is about that 18 and change mark. Okay. Hey, thank you very much, sir. Thanks for the call, Paul. That was FCX Freeport MacMoran betting on with options. Certainly a leverage bet, but can work out, especially if you're in a nice trending market, which copper is currently. I'm Justin Klein, and you're listening to Invest Talk, and you are in fantastic company. Our podcast download statistics show that so far in August, we have topped 800,000 downloads for the second consecutive month, and we still have the rest of today. So, Stephen, I thank you for downloading Invest Talk, and please tell your friends and family members about our investing and financial podcasts. Remember, our website, investtalk.com, has a number of fantastic resources available to assist you or anyone you know with building a solid financial future. If you're unsure how to start, I suggest you take our Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire, help you define your particular investment comfort zone, and then you can build a portfolio that matches it. And that's the ultimate goal, is investing the way you need to invest. Not the way your cousin says to invest or your neighbor says to invest. It's based on your individual situation. Now, of course, you are welcome to call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California. We can set up a call, talk in more detail. We would love to help and we want to help. But for now, our phone lines are open. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Good news, Steve and Justin have recorded another Rapid Fire Hour podcast. They take caller questions at a faster pace, but you still get their unbiased answers. In this special bonus show podcast, you'll hear responses to 34 finance and investment questions. The theme of the program concerns market processes, best practices for investors, and explanations of various terms and investment opportunities. So tell your friends... 
Search Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or investtalk.com for the free August Rapid Fire Hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Hi, I have a question about the allocation of my investments for retirement. So I have about 20 years until I retire, and I'm curious what you would recommend as a ratio between mutual funds and individual stocks. Thank you. Well, I always I get I get all these questions and you know sometimes it's hard for me because I've been doing this for 20 years now and you know I have assumptions when I hear certain things like mutual funds and I know that they can be very very broad. A lot of the people have different perceptions of what a mutual fund is, right? So for everyone, mutual funds can be a lot of things. They can be bonds. They can be commodities. They can be foreign equities, emerging market equities or emerging market bonds. They can be large cap growth stocks. They can be small cap value stocks. They can be managed future fund. They can be a lot of different, they can be gold. They can be almost anything in the market. There is a mutual fund out there for almost every sub-segment of the market. So you can't say, oh, I should invest in mutual funds. Well, if you're just trying to get, if that's how, if that's how you want to allocate a whole portfolio, right? You're only using mutual funds because you want to get broad diversification, owning different asset classes, different areas of the market. Okay, that's one thing. But then you go into asset allocation, which is kind of what he was asking. How much should be in individual stocks versus Mutual funds or just funds in general, it sounds like. And that goes down, comes down to how much work do you want to put into this? Do you want to put a lot of work? Do you have the time? Do you have the resources? Do you have the discipline? Well, you can buy individual stocks. If you are disciplined. If you don't want to do the work, don't feel like you can do the work or should do the work, Finding great fund managers is certainly not a bad idea. And you can do that in the mutual fund space across pretty much every different asset class. And so maybe try to refine your question a little more. Help me understand exactly what type of answer you're looking for. But hopefully that helped at least a little. 8899 chart, 8899242278. Let's touch on the fact that 260,500 retail accounts with E-Trade were open in March. More than any full year on record. A record 3 million new Robinhood accounts were established in the first quarter. The last time individual investors bought, were this excited and this engaged in the equity markets were the late 90s. And in a lot of ways, you can say today's bigger and broader. It's a lot easier to get information and opinions online, social media, chat rooms, etc. 
sports leagues for the most part are scaled back or shut down and it's free to trade and people are trying to fill time with boredom so many young investors are chasing after sub $5 stocks, penny stocks. And a lot of them have had near-term success. And there's nothing more dangerous than that, is having that near-term success and thinking you know what you're doing. Just look at all these people that bought Tesla and Apple today because of the stock split. They think they know what they're doing. They don't. So a lot of people are going to get burned, but they're going to make some money in the near term until the tide goes out, right? Because they don't, they're not looking at the fundamentals. They're not looking, they're not investing in businesses. They're just speculating on things going up in price. And we know throughout history that that type of mentality never pays off. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your particular version of financial freedom. So our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you have to do it right now at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk, and helping you achieve your financial freedom is the primary objective. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, um, this is Tyler, uh, young investor. Thank you for all that you do. I uh, wanted to get your guys' take on Boeing, BA. It's like a really long-term investment. I just think that, you know, you guys always talk about getting the undervalued companies or companies that are on the downside for potential longer side. So looking 20, 30 years out, I just don't think a whole lot of companies can do what Boeing does. And so I just wanted to get your guys' take. Thanks. Bye. That is the overarching sentiment on Boeing. And... There's one caveat to that, because I generally agree with that, that Boeing has strong intellectual property, and there's only a few airplane makers in the world. The problem is, is that the backdrop of the travel industry is weak, remains weak, traffic's still down 80-ish percent year over year, at least here in the United States. And the work from home trend for a lot of companies is going to be permanent, which means demand for business travel is going to remain subdued for an extended period of time, meaning capacity in the airline industry remains in oversupply. Airlines going out of business, airlines cutting routes, eliminating many of the uh, flight times for certain routes. And therefore, there's a lot of oversupply of planes based on the current capacity. And that's the issue with Boeing. And on top of that, even if that slowly recovers, they're going to be hemorrhaging cash in the meantime, and they have $61 billion in long-term debt, which is up sixfold from just a few years ago when it was around $10 billion. They got a bunch of money from the government. I think they even landed a, a small military contract. So the government's trying to do their best to bail out Boeing and all of their stock buybacks that they've 
done over the last number of years to, and they leverage up their balance sheet to do so. And that's the issue is that they have too much leverage. And so if there's not a drastic recovery in the travel industry, which I don't see happening on the business side, the leisure side's doing pretty decent, but not the business side. And I don't see that returning soon. So until I start to see that uptick in a meaningful way, I'm still a negative on Boeing. Let's go to Robert in San Mateo looking at FNF, which is, let's take a look at this. Fidelity National Financial, title insurance company. And I'm sure they're, they're doing pretty well, right? Because uh, housing market's doing pretty well. Is that why you want to buy it? Yeah, I was kind of looking for, um, by the way, thank you very much for doing your podcast. They're awesome. Um, yeah, so I was kind of looking for something that's kind of like stable and also that will grow within the times because I imagine there will be a lot of escrows and title um, insurance is going on right now. So I figured that might be a good long-term play with this downturn it has recently. I figured it might be good to get into a more position to it. Yeah, this is a company that has consistent return equity in the low to mid-teens, which I which I really like. Now, they do have pretty high leverage, and that is the issue here, is the level of debt they have on their balance sheet. About a $9.5 billion market cap. Hmm. This one, their balance sheet's a little wonky, it looks like. Um, but the cash flow's strong. I really have to dig into that balance sheet and really understand because it has a negative enterprise value, which is uh, interesting. Um, you know what? I kind of like it. I like the cash flow. I like the profitability. I like the pro I like the the dividend. Nice four percent dividend. It looks fairly safe based on cash flow. Underlying business looks fine. I'll, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a thumbs up. Fidelity National Financial FNF is the symbol. Thanks for the call, Robert. I like that one. That one's interesting. I'm going to look into that a little bit more. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Thursday. Please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free over at investtalk.com. They can browse by topic as well. You can also get it free at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. And as always, investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank them and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888 chart. <laughs>